You're listening to the PR Wind Down Podcast, the show for public relations professionals who are ready to see real change in the PR industry. We are your hosts, April White and Laura Schooler. Let's get ready to wind down. Wait, what? So, what's happening over with the raspberries? I just bought two little containers of raspberries on the street. Are you eating both at the same time? No, I only washed one of them, but I'll probably eat the other one. The days out. <laughs> is, is there like, is that too much for your system? No, How I can eat. How many raspberries can a person eat? I can eat fruit by the truckload. Do we want to talk about PR today or no? Yeah, I guess we should. I mean, I was just going to talk about fruit the whole day, but we should, we should get into what this, what we're. That's cool with me. We should, we should probably talk about the PR wind down. Did you see the state of the PR report from Muckrack today? Yes. I didn't get all the way through it, but I saw that it came out and that there are some great highlights we should dig into for sure. I mean, I thought it would be good based on our guest today. Yes. So. Yeah. So there are a bunch of highlights. So one of them was that this is probably no surprise to any of us, but more than half of PR pros, 53% work more than 40 hour work weeks and also work after business hours and on weekends. Does that surprise you? Over 40 hours? That yeah. more than half? No, not at all. Yeah. And so why is it that only half are doing that? <laughs> I know. I was like, that's it. <laughs> Who are these other amazing? I, know, I, I would have said it's like, eight, I would have said like 85%. <laughs> That's uh, pretty unusual. The median salary surprised me. The median salary of people surveyed falls between seventy dollars and $100,000 a year. Mean is the average. Median is like if you lined it all up. Yeah. Those would be in the middle. Right. Yep. With so that surprised you, you as high or low? It surprised me as low only given what I know people are now demanding in salaries. I mean, I guess if you see, and the other thing is that since everything's remote, even if you live in northern ohio or something you could be working for a new york firm right so like where you would say oh well the salaries are lower in certain regions like that's not as much the issue anymore as it used to be so what else what other were the key the, highlights? the last one that that interests me was that last year pr pro said that linkedin was the most valuable social platform mm-hmm. and this year twitter takes the lead. Wow. What did you think it was? 77% of PR pros say Twitter is the most important platform for their comm strategy, followed by LinkedIn at 73 and Facebook 69. I would have said like, like TikTok or something, right? At this point in in, Twitter. Yeah. Well, you know, I use Twitter. This this survey probably happened pre-Elon Musk news. Right. Right. Because that was just not even a month ago, right? So yeah, that is interesting. It seems like an old social media Right. Why aren't why yeah. aren't they using uh, TikTok or some other thing we haven't heard of yet? Yeah. Well, yeah, I know. I mean, I I think it's probably because that's what reporters are using more, right? Guess so. So you got to go where the action's at. Yeah, which makes sense. And the biggest PR challenge was fifty-two percent said getting responses from journalists, but that's I'm surprised surprise. it's not. Yeah. I'm surprised it's not higher. Well, yes and no. Do you, I maybe I wonder what the other forty-eight percent said. Well, so the other things that it was broken between are budget limitations, measuring business impact, discovering relevant journalists, collaborating with other departments, lack of quantifiable measurement, 
identifying the right tech, recruiting and retaining talent, mm-hmm. collaborating with my team, training our team, and finding an executive sponsor. I would think that recruiting and retaining would be higher. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, some of this is pretty expected. I guess I, I sh- maybe I shouldn't be surprised by the by the Twitter piece, but I was a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then 83% said that DEI is somewhat important or very important to their company, meaning diversity, equity, inclusion. 54% said very important. So that's good. Yeah. I, it's not surprising, but it's, you know, it's, it's promising. The, <laughs> this is actually, this is quite funny. The age breakdown for people that work more than 40 hours per week is the highest between 26 and 50. But if you're younger than 25 or older than 51, then it drops to 4% or 10% or 8%. So those age groups on the outlying are working fewer than 40 hours. By a lot. By a lot. Yeah. So it goes from 26 to 40 is between 44 and 40%. 41 to 50 is higher, 41 to 48%. Sort of, it looks like your late Mm -hmm. 40s to 50 are the worst. Mm -hmm. And then it, totally drops off so when you hit 51 plus only 10 percent or 8 percent are reporting that so do you want to try to <laughs> right okay so on the face which of it, is like 20. i'm very excited about like okay how many years do i have to <laughs> right <laughs> starts the so, clock <laughs> so but but let's figure out why we think that like aside from like yes it's funny you can make jokes but is there an actual reason why is it because the very much younger people are still learning how to do PR and they're just really given tasks with a sort of a a beginning and an end by like, you know, the managers. And then are the older people not working full time anymore? Are they freelancing and setting up their own schedules? Well, one is for brands and one's for agencies. So that's why there's a range for each category. Okay. My guess is it's more that you've reached the point in your career where you can take a more senior role, which comes with the perks of not working yourself to death. Also, physically, it becomes harder and harder, right? Yeah. The older you get to, like, what are you saying, in your early 50s? So in this day and age, especially uh, like, you know, in New York and such, you are likely to have kids that are going to college at that point, you know, graduating high school. Maybe you even have, you know, your first grandkids. Like, your life has become bigger and fuller and more like, you know, big life things are probably going on at that point. So you don't have, like when I was whatever, 28 years old, like what the hell else did I have to do but go to work all day? I barely had any bills. I, you know what I mean? You just got up, you went to work. You got up, you went to work. You got up, you went to work. Like you didn't have kids. You didn't have husbands, you didn't, you know, any of that kind of stuff. Yeah. And now I still don't have a lot of that stuff, but I do have a lot more, you know, adult responsibilities than I used to. Right. And so some, I, like during the pandemic, I was like, oh my God, how did I work all of those hours and take care of my bills and my insurance and whatever, you know, the fixing this in the house and that in the house. And, you know, I don't know how people did it. So maybe that's part of it too. And then the other thing that they, that I thought was a little bit interesting is they have in here about how PR pros get information about their profession. How do they stay up to date and current on what's happening? And 67% said social media. To get information about the industry, you said. Yeah, about PR. Probably that and getting emails that I have pushed to me from aggregators or whatever is how I find out. But yeah, I guess social media too. Yeah. I wonder if podcasts are included. Oh, right. Hint, hint to the audience. (laughs) I 
think we should probably move on to announcing one of the most exciting guests that we have ever had on the podcast. But first, I want to warn everybody that somehow there was a gremlin in my computer when we were interviewing the CEO of Muckrack of all the guests for my computer to just decide to not play nice. Was that one? And so I was I was completely incapacitated by my audio. And so I had to share in the chat with Laura the questions that I had, and she had to conduct the entire interview by herself. I spoke to uh, Greg Gallant on both of our behalves, and all of the really interesting questions were mine, and the okay ones were yours. I'm kidding. Since you didn't get a chance to voice your opinions and your questions, do you want to do the introduction? Uh, sure. I mean, so that's my, this is my, only, my only audible contact with our guest, Greg Gallant, the CEO of Muckrack, is going to be now. So our guest today is Greg Gallant. He's the CEO at everyone's favorite PR platform, Muckrack. And he's here to discuss all things podcast pitching, share some interesting data from the state of the podcasting report, which we actually just got into. So we're going to keep that to a minimum. And we want to welcome Greg. Hey, how are you all? Good. How are you? Hello. Great. Thanks so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, wait we're second. super excited. And wait, secondarily, I was like, well, that's an interesting apartment. And I realized that it's Jerry Seinfeld's apartment, <laughs> right? That's right. Soon, soon after COVID started, we were all remote. I decided instead of having whatever room I happened to be in, be I a Jerry this image of Jerry Seinfeld's apartment. And it's fascinating based on who I talk to. Some people like yourself immediately get it. Other people, especially when I talk to younger people, they're like, wait, is that like the friend's apartment or something yeah. like that? And I'm like, oh no. And then I get some people where they just don't put it together and they don't even realize it's that's virtual where you background. I'm thinking funny. I'm living in an apartment with a really old refrigerator and a lot of <laughs> Oh, wire, that's funny. That's so funny. I live in Seinfeld uh, country, so, you know, I better recognize it. So anyway, I just want to say, oh, this is um, this is unfiltered, but I will say every PR firm that I've been working with over the past few years, all the younger people beg the senior people to get muckrack. That's what happened. Every time. Yep. And the team is happy now. Yep. Greg, I am uh, so excited to have you on. I always tell the younger people that I've been in PR since I faxed press releases. So... And you'd call and be like, did you get the facts? No, we didn't get the facts. I'll, I'll resend the facts. So I'm glad that we are beyond those days. And I know that you wanted to talk about pitching podcasts today. And I wanted to see if you had anything that you could sort of lay the groundwork regarding, you know, statistics around how effective podcasts are, how many podcasts there are, those kinds of things. So one big initiative we've made at Muckrack uh, is when we started, it was all about journalists. We've been, been in business for a little bit over 10 years, and we've expanded now to podcasters, newsletter writers, whole bunch of new areas. One of the big challenges with podcasts is that there's a lot of them. There's over, well over a million podcasts that are on iTunes. Yep. But when you dig into it, it's only a, a few tens of thousands that are actually podcasts that are like active getting updated. Because how many people do we know that unlike yourselves, they start a podcast, they do two or three episodes and they're like, oh my God, this is a lot of work. Yeah. And they stop, stop updating it. 
So it's, it's a lot of work to find the right podcast, but that's a lot of what we're building into Muckrack now to make that easier. But the amazing thing is once you do find the right podcast, it's just uh, such a powerful medium. And I, I'm sure I'm preaching to the choir here, but it, it's so intimate. You know, you, you, you might be reaching fewer people than the impressions that, you know, let's say a tweet gets or even a news article. But for those people who listen, they're listening for a half an hour, an hour. Some podcasts would go on for hours. And right. you, you find this super intimate connection with the audience. And I think as a communicator, you can get your message out to that audience in a much richer way than you could being quoted, you know, or two, two sound bites you could get quoted in an article or somebody reading a couple of your tweets or even somebody spending a minute or two reading your blog post. Right. So I think it's a super powerful media. So this is what I feel like. I've been doing podcasts since before it was super cool, but not on PR. And what I, what I realized as a PR professional, I feel like there are two or maybe three kinds of issues that I've run into. One is podcasts like Joe Rogan, right? So wildly popular. There's like no way you're going to get on there. Then there are like tons of, you know, subject matter podcasts. But like you said before, maybe four people listen to them. Maybe they've done nine podcasts and then it just trails off. Then the other, I guess the third area is um, like trade publications that have podcasts connected to them. And so to me, those are the only ones that seem from a B2B standpoint I'm talking about that seem really useful from a PR person's point of view. Where do you, I don't really know what question even to ask in there, but that's sort of the, how do you, I guess, do you have any suggestions for how PR people can get into podcasts for their clients that are worthwhile? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And like you said, it's about finding that sweet spot where unless your client is a celebrity who's just put out a book, yeah, you're probably not booking on Joe Rogan and Tim Ferriss and all that, those. So, you know, having said that, we have them all in Muckrack if, uh, if you do have a huge client. And then on the flip side, you don't want to go so niche that there's no audience. Mm-hmm. One thing that we built into Muckrack is an audience estimate for every podcast. So now in the search, you can filter out and be like, okay, show me, just show me the podcasts that at least have a hundred listeners, or maybe at least have a thousand listeners. Right. Because you want to um, make sure it's still worthwhile. But at the same time, you probably don't want to have the same expectations as like circulation in a magazine, because if it's a B2B and you're reaching in the B2B world, if you're going to have a hundred potential buyers listening to you for an hour, it's probably worth an hour of an executive's time, right? They would get on a phone, you know, on a phone call with just one, one prospect. So why wouldn't they do a podcast that's listened to by a hundred prospects? So I think it's a lot of searching. I, I think it's also a good opportunity where if you're, if your client's in a really niche B2B area, you can ask your client and pull other people in that industry, what podcasts are you listening to? It might be one done by a trade publication. Maybe there's a, a niche newsletter or a sub stack 
that, that covers that area where the author of that Substack has also launched a podcast. Uh, there might even be an executive in that industry who launched their own podcast yep. and has gotten a following and, and right. you know, it's not typical journalists who are going to pitch, but to you, they're kind of like a journalist. So you want to build a relationship with that person. Right. So, so you mean like time. a corporate, a corporate podcast, like a company sponsored or a, a CEO sponsored sort of podcast? Yeah, it could, it could be that. It could be a company CEO sponsored podcast. It could be someone in that industry who's kind of gone a bit rogue and lo- loves it so oh. much that they just started their own on the uh, on the side on the side to build their personal brand. Right. So it, it's really weird, like who comes out of the woodwork to right. be an influential podcaster. Is there any suggestion for? The best way to pitch a podcast is it the same as pitching, you know, a regular reporter? Yeah, I think it depends on the podcaster. I think all the fundamentals are the same. So one is doing your research, just like you pitch a reporter without reading their past work, and you you get that pitch off. It's going to piss them off. Same with the podcast. You got to figure out like, hey, is it an interview show? Do they even take guests? Who are the past guests? Is there there a way that I can tie the guests that I'm going to pitch and, and show that, you know, they fit the mold for this show mm-hmm. and actually listen to a few to understand the person's style, how they're going to jive. Right. And, yeah. And then another really part is to keep it concise, just like a pitch to a journalist, you know, no one has a lot of time to read. Right. I feel like um, the most success that I've had in pitching podcasts is, being a little bit more um, creative in the way that I pitch somebody than in a straightforward, like, you know, here's our news and here's, you know, can we get an interview? For example, I, I got a um, celebrity of who's not like a current big celebrity, but kind of was once upon a time and got that person on a podcast of one of his areas of interest not on what he does for a living but it's something that he has an area of interest in uh, and a a real passion for and um it was great it worked really well and afterwards the um, producer of this podcast was like oh my god thank god it was he was so wonderful i i feel like that was a little bit more it was a much easier connection than trying to do something like that with uh, a print reporter would have been so then after the podcast takes place how do you know if it was successful or not? I think the other question too is how do you make it successful in the sense like first you want to see what that podcast does on its own and you might have people if you have a call to action in the podcast like hey go to this URL or hey we just published this research go download maybe you can get a direct feel you know I, I think another is that people generally get the feedback like people tell me oh I heard you on this podcast and then that registers to be like okay that worked Mm-hmm. But I think the other part is like you're creating this great piece of earned media that's probably going to come off much more credible than if you just hired someone to interview you and put out your own piece of media that you can now promote on your own channels. So you can get interviewed on a podcast. And like that example you gave, maybe even no one listens to the podcast that's a potential buyer, but you know, this good humanizing interview with your client. The question is now, how do you get people to listen to it? So you could take that podcast and of course, tweet out the link, put it on all your social channels, email customers. The one thing that I found that's really powerful of podcasts is that often the promo clips for them 
get a lot more engagement than the podcast itself. Right. That's interesting. I like that. I think that you're right. In the case of the example that I was thinking of, yeah, I don't know that everybody's going to sit and listen to like a 40 minute podcast or longer, but they'll look at the 30 second clip and they'll share that on, you know, Twitter or whatever. Right. Yeah. Totally. I can tell you from my personal experience, I was kind of in the opposite scenario where I got to interview Mark Cuban on my podcast and there was one clip where he talks about how much he likes using Muckrack. He uses Muckrack to monitor his own PR. And so I'm like, well, this is awesome. Uh, but it was like the interview is over an hour long. Wow. So I'm like, I don't know how many people are going to listen to the whole hour. But I clipped the video from that one part of him talking about Muckrack. Right. And I uh, made it a LinkedIn post under my own name, which is that one minute video of him talking about Muckrack. And then it turned out that like far more people watched the one minute clip of him talking about Muckrack, which is meant to be a promo for the podcast, right. then actually download the podcast, much less listen to 45 minutes in, in the podcast where he, he talks that. about that. Right. So I always think of it as like the stone soup, you know, or that old, old story where the soldier comes to a town, says, oh, I'll make you stone soup. All we have to do is borrow the stone. And hey, by the way, you know, you have some celery and some lettuce and some meat meat to right. throw in it. You know, in the sense that podcast is a stone where like, yeah, there'll be hopefully a bunch of people do listen to the podcast. But even if no one listens to the podcast, like just get lots of good promo clips from it and like figure out how do you repurpose that media so that lots of people see it where they are on all the social channels and your newsletters, uh, et cetera. April's been gagged today. <laughs> so I'm going to ask some questions on her behalf. April and I have discussed the rise in the popularity of the newsletter subscriptions like Substack. Have you had anybody pitch Substacks or you know about pitching Substacks at all? Yeah, we, we've seen, uh, seen a lot of that happening, especially as we've added more newsletter writers to the platform. And I think it, you know, similar to podcasts, it depends a lot on the Substack because there are some Substacks that are started by journalists like Casey uh, Newton or Alex, I should know how to pronounce his last name. Just, sorry, Alex, if you're listening and I butchered your, uh, your last name, but I am a paying subscriber to his podcast. So hopefully that makes sense. So it's okay. Better. Okay. But yeah, that's, that's part of the Substack code. If, you, if you're a paying subscriber, you can butcher their names. <laughs> but with that, I, I think if it started by a traditional journalist, like they're reporting, they're, they're getting pitched by PR people all the time. They have dialogues with the companies that they're writing about. And then there are other Substack writers who don't come from a um, journalism background and they, and, and it could be about anything. It's some people just writing about their hobbies, other people who are more opinion writers. And then you, you really have to kind of approach it case by case because they might not used to be used to getting pitched. First of all, you have to make sure like, does it even make sense if they're writing, you know, random right. out two tips might be, tricky to engage them. Uh, they might be open to it. Some people I've also seen convert to kind of become more like journalists. Like if you look at Ben Thompson at uh, Strategery, mm -hmm. uh, actually kind of precedes Substack, but it's the same model of paid newsletter where he, he wasn't a journalist before he started that, but now he's as influential as any journalist. And right. I feel it's like, about, you know, the, PR departments will interact with them. I feel like it might even be more important to read Substacks, you know, what they're writing about before you pitch them, even more important than reading a traditional journalist, what they've been, because a traditional journalist some, is sometimes 
you know, news driven or what by what their editor tells them to be writing that week or whatever. But Substacks, I mean, these are the people, they're making the agenda. So you surely better be reading them before you pitch them so you know where they've been and, you know, their tone and everything. Well, and in addition to that, they know if you're reading them because they can look at their email open. So if you're pitching them and they don't see you on their on the email list and they don't see that you've opened their emails, they're going to yeah. be extra annoyed. If, oh, that's if so funny. Right. So they could, they, it's uh, almost a like D to C sort of thing. Like it's a real person to person. So what do you think is next? You got podcasts and then Substacks. Is there some other platform out there that you're like on the precipice of that we should know about? Or is it top secret? We're, we're always looking out there. I and mean, one thing I'm kind of fascinated by is people using TikTok in a format to do like longer storytelling and actually talk about news mm-hmm. and current events. And we've already seen that happen with YouTube with like uh, Marquise Brownlee, who's now like one of the top tech reviewers. He's like what Walt Mossberg used to be to the Wall Street Journal. He is mm-hmm. YouTube. And I think we're seeing folks like that emerge in TikTok too. So, mm-hmm. so I think really in all these mediums, it's like it might be that 95% of the people aren't doing anything you'd ever want to pitch about. You know, they're doing random dance videos and stuff right. like that. But there will be a sliver of them that are that are kind of becoming the journalists of that medium mm-hmm. where they are you know, doing storytelling and, and talking right. about topics that you're going to want to influence them on. Right. And that's where we all need to pay attention. So it's like the platform that they're on versus, it's like, could be the same person, but maybe on a different platform, an influencer well, or a journalist. So well like said. a social media. Okay. Interesting. Okay. So two more questions. How did you land on the name um, Muckrack? Yeah. So it was originally like a side project. So I saw the shorty words before this, the Orchard Best of Social Media. This was back in 08. Then in 09, I saw how many journalists were on social media way early on. So I'm like, we should have a website where you just see all the journalists in one place. And took one idea of muckraker, which is this term that Teddy Roosevelt coined in the 1920s for investigative journalists. Yep. And it was a derogatory term because it's like, oh, you're digging through the muck, you're digging muck. through the dirt yep. to find news. But over the years, journalists were adopted it as a compliment, because like, hey, I'm not just regurgitating your press release. I'm like doing the investigative journalism. Right. I'm a muckraker. So that was the first half. And then we thought like, okay, well, we're going to have all the journalists one place. So it made me think of like a magazine rack, magazine rack. or a newspaper rack. So combined a muck rack. And the other constraint was our branding budget was $8 which is what it costs to buy a domain name that no one else has ever registered before on GoDaddy. And the domain was free. So $8 later, we had muckrack.com. Oh my God. A lot of people know us for the kind of media database that being the best place to find the right journalist or podcast or newsletter writer to pitch. And that's always uh, bread and butter of muckrack and something that we're putting a lot of resources into making better. But a couple of the big things we're building on top of that, one is a lot more reporting. So we have a full-on reporting suite now. So you can easily build a dashboard or a shareable report with how much press your campaigns received and where it was covered, be it in, in news or TV or podcasts or anywhere else. 
we're, we're having a lot more innovation there. And then another big piece is relationship management. So we're all remote now, uh, as are the, the three of us on this interview. Mm-hmm. And so it's hard for a PR team to keep track of like, hey, which journalists and podcasters have we talked to? And you want to make sure that you're not pitching someone who your colleague pitched yesterday. So mm-hmm. we've built in all these relationship management features. You can now either send your initial pitch through Muckbracket. So the journalist looks just like you sent it through Gmail or Outlook. Right. But you're actually able to send it through Muckrack, and then that way it's logged on the journalist portfolio page for your encrypted, so only your team members can see it if you want them to, so you know if you overlap. You can also BCC us in your emails. So if you're just emailing a journalist, uh, let's say in a follow-up from, you know, just directly from Outlook or Gmail, you just BCC PRM at muckrack.com mm-hmm. and then it automatically logs it to their journalist portfolio page so your colleagues can keep track. We've got a lot more functionality coming out for that. So it'll be kind of like, you know, in the sales world, they have CRMs where you're going to track everything yep. with customers, yep. where we're building that, but for the PR industry. Right. So is there anything that you... Um wish that I had asked you or any questions that you have for me and April, I'll answer on her behalf. Great, <laughs> <laughs> hey, I love this silent, uh, silent ass. She's more sell more so today. She's doing interpretive dance. That's perfect, yeah, like that. Or it's like Penn and Teller, you know. Uh, <laughs> That's even know, better. That's even cat. better. Oh my God, I love it. So yes, is there anything that I should have asked you or anything you want to ask me? I guess just to turn the table, what, what are you what are you both seeing or like the big trends going on in, in PR and your, your work on the front lines? Wow. That's too hard, April. Oh, she can't answer. I think that a lot of what you were talking about in terms of all of these different um, types of media opportunities, I'm going to call it, uh, platforms, people to pitch, places to pitch, platforms to pitch. I mean, I, it, it's the same on both sides you're filling the need because we have that need on the PR side. I've been in the PR, like I said, when I started this conversation, I was faxing reporters and calling and saying, did you get my fax? I mean, those days are gone, gone, gone. Nobody sends faxes anywhere anymore, right? So dipping back on the agency side, which I just started to do a few years ago, really interesting about the ways to try and reach out to reporters. Some of them want you to like, send them a DM on Twitter or get to them through like WhatsApp or something. Others want you just to email them. Most of them don't want you calling. (laughs) I have called a few when I knew that I really had a story that was something that they would 100% cover. And even if they didn't, they weren't going to be like, oh my God, why are you calling me? But I really think that that's one of the biggest things is like all the different ways that specific reporters prefer how PR people reach out to them. So you have to be very on top of each individual reporter. And I also have found, and this started, I worked at PwC a lot for a long, long time. I don't know if you do any work with any of the big four through Muckrack, but um, that getting PR people that have real specialties in narrow industries. I oversaw five PR firms when I was there because we wanted firms that were you know, specialized in specific areas. And that way, it's easier for the people who work at the firms to build up a rapport with the like core 
reporters and media that are most important to that client. I have seen that work well for myself going back on the agency side, like, oh my God, I was at like, you know, the world's biggest accounting firm. How now am I going to be on the other side of it, pitching tiny startups? Well, I learned very quickly the best way to do it was by being specialized and really cultivating like the key media and reporters. And I got some great results, uh, you know, so you can teach an old dog new tricks is the <laughs> punchline to that story. I think that's a great point. And that's, that's kind of what we, um, what we try to always preach at Muckrack. You know, I think there's a temptation for people to use technology like ours to try to just be like, oh, I'm going to be super efficient and get the email out to as many journals right. as possible. And ever since we started, we, 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 you know, we saw people were misusing the tools that existed before us for that. And our mantra was always, hey, we're, we're going to build better research tools and you should actually use our software to make a smaller media list right. and then be able to really, like you said, really customize that outreach mm -hmm. to everybody on your smaller list. So like the technology, it's not that you can email more people faster, it's that the technology actually lets you target yeah. and reach out to fewer people, but deliver a lot more value to those people that right. you can reach out to. And keep track of each of those people. And April um, also brought up the point that giving reporters plenty of lead time when pitching since so many reporters are spread so thin now so that they have more lead time, to be able to, you know, embargo the story, perhaps, maybe even pitching a um, exclusive, you know, if it's like some kind of great new product announcement or company announcement or funding announcement so that they can fit this stuff into their insane schedules. Because if you come up to a reporter with like two or three days lead time, like you're probably not going to uh, be real effective. Maybe if you're more Cuban, but that's, there are only, only a few people in the country can get away with that, right? All set. Well, thank you so much. Do you want to tell our illustrious audience the best way to get in touch with Muckrack if they would like to uh, utilize your services? Just go to muckrack.com, M-U-C-K-R-A-C-K.com. If you uh, want to hit me up, I'm just at Gregory on both Twitter and Instagram. I signed up really early. So wow. you can always tweet me or DM me at Gregory and, uh, you know, love to hear from people. So uh, yeah. Great. Thank you so much. And April says, um, thank you. She's uh, apologizing that her audio failed her today. I, I like the Penn and Teller Act. I think you should keep <laughs> this up. But Laura, April, this, this was a real pleasure. Thanks so much for inviting me on your podcast. <laughs> We're very happy to have you. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thanks so much. Oh, there I she is. <laughs> now you can hear me? Oh, only when we're not on the record. Uh, <laughs> like, how do I co-host three podcasts and I can't get my audio to work for the most important interview of, like, of your life? Of my life. <laughs> so it goes. Okay. Well, thanks again, Greg. Appreciate it. Hey, my pleasure. Great All right. Bye. Bye-bye. I absolutely adored Greg. I thought he was adorable, charming, funny, insightful. I mean, what a what a an amazing CEO yep. of an amazing company. Yeah, I was right. I was really impressed by him. I wanted so badly to laugh and say things and like ask him questions live, but um, but I found him really engaging. So despite my complete silence for the entire interview, I was I was like really You were engaged. so stunned you couldn't even speak. Yeah, That's I was, how amazing he I was. Just blown away. 
Well, should we move on to our PR horror story of the day? Sure. Do you Why want me to read, read it, it? since yes, I was since completely you quiet for the last half hour? Yes. <laughs> Please. All right. Hold on. Do not open until podcast. And now I'm opening it because we're on the podcast. Hey, ladies. This is quite the story. And it just happened to me today. I've been in PR for a while and I thought I'd seen it all. But we all know that's never the case. I have this newish client, moderate budget for the agency I'm with, and moderately demanding. Until now. So we have this weekly meeting with this client, and I honestly think these could be every other week, but for now, we're still acquiescing. Anyway, last week, my manager popped positive for COVID, and she is sick, like really sick. Obviously, she's out of commission until she's better. So I emailed the client, let him know we need to cancel this week's call, but that everything is on track with our PR projects and we'll share an email update instead. His response was total vitriol. He insisted that a sick person could dial into a Google Meet call from bed if they have to. I was shocked. And explained that our company policy is to prioritize our team's health and well-being and not bother them on their sick days. He pushed back and became angrier. I'll spare the details, but here's a glimpse of what he said. I don't know if laziness is what gets you by over there, but my company doesn't make room for slacking off. It's blood, sweat, and tears that gets a business off the ground, and that means showing up, period. End of discussion. <laughs> what? I, wait, wait, there's a little more. Okay. I guess we'll find out if he's over it by next week, but I couldn't believe someone could have this opinion after how sick the whole world was with COVID. I kept my cool, but I think boundaries are going to be an issue here in the future. What would you do in my shoes? That is bonkers. Oh God. <laughs> so wait, so here's one thing. So this person that yes. is sick. Yes. The senior lead, right? We put, wait, we have, I'll see the the manager, okay, so the manager is sick. Manager is sick. So G, slightly less senior person tells said client, manager is sick and can't be on the call. Okay. So and he blows a gasket. So we're talking about one weekly call that probably lasts 45 minutes, an hour, maybe at the most. Yeah. That could, I don't know, easily be moved to even it, as soon as like, you know, a couple of days, you know, cause some, it depends on how, you know, depends this. how sick you get. So we're just, we're not talking about like somebody who's like out for the launch or gone for three weeks. We're talking about one internal, whatever client team one weekly call missed because someone has COVID. So like, who cares? Also, what rock is this person living under that getting COVID well, is right. minor? I mean, I had a fever for two weeks when I had COVID. Right. Two weeks. Didn't I never went under 100 degrees for two weeks. I was hallucinating. I could not have No, I know. I know that that's happened to people. And other people are like throwing up for, you know, a whole week. And you just never know how it's going to no, impact And then you. other people are completely asymptomatic. And right. other people just never get it despite having been exposed multiple times. <laughs> right. Like you never know. I mean. So obviously this dude is like over COVID basically like doesn't want well, to hear I understand that we're all over COVID right but also is it just like is it's like a COVID denier is that what's going on I, yeah I wonder if the sick person 
instead had the flu or strep throat, would he have responded the same way? Or is it because it's COVID and there's like a political- it's like COVID's not a real thing. It's made right. up by the government or something. And, right, like right. Or, and people are like milking it, even though it's not really that bad. I, you know, I wonder if somebody had, like I it said, strep bad. throat. I know it can be that bad. I know. So I wonder if it's what it is, but even if be that as it may, <laughs> this is just like a team meeting. This is so I not guess, okay. I, we all politics and discussion of COVID aside, what would you do with the client knowing that they have sort of have this like no wiggle room for any weakness kind of vibe happening? Well, I mean, I guess what I would say it's like COVID's for losers, right? So, <laughs> so, so this person said, We'll cancel the call, but I'll email you with what we're working on to give you a status update, right? So yes. I, if I was that person, I would say she's not coming and I can't tell you when she's going to be better to join. Yeah. But if you want to speak on the phone with me and the other team members or just me, I'd be happy to do so. Yeah. Why wouldn't you just continue with the call without the senior person? Right. Well, maybe the senior person knows, you know, 85%. I of, see. I see. Maybe this person, you know, is 23. I don't know. But right. I still would... I would still for for would offer that. I assume that the guy would be like, nah, I don't want to talk to some junior person, and that wouldn't even be like a thing that he would take them up on. But I think that's the right step to take. Yeah, Taking- and then I and then I guess just watch the space, right? I mean, like just see what. Well, right. If this was like a one shot deal, freak out, which most of these things aren't. But like, let this one go. Mm-hmm. If it happens again, then you need to like step up and give the old you know in this day and age our concern is for our employees health and wellness first right. and foremost yeah and this person we know is like one of the hardest workers that is here i think you just got to offer like we can talk to you without her this week see how that goes and if it happens again or if he like really violently pushes back on that offer yeah you got to really draw a hard boundary I think you can give one buy on something like this because this whole COVID and say it's everybody's it's so politicized safe. now yes. that it's probably partly that. I guess that's really it. Yeah. Okay. Oh, we also have things I should have been trained on. Do you want to do that next? Yeah. What should I have been trained on? You should have been trained on how to delegate responsibly when you're new to management. Oh, well, that's a hard one. <laughs> No, it's just hard because when I hear the word management, nobody teaches you how to manage people unless you're like in some serious MBA type job, but in PR agencies, not so much. No, you really need to just be good at it or very proactive about it yourself in most cases. Mm -hmm. So it's not an easy thing to go from being like the worker bee who works less than 40 hours a week to being a manager of people and yeah. all of their different needs and personalities and yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. I mean, the one thing I, I will say is that it's very easy when you're new to management and even when you're not to grossly underestimate how much time managing things that you delegate yes. takes. So you, you might think, okay, well, I have five hours of things to do. Let me give two and a half hours to someone else. Yep. And that's going to cut it. It's almost certainly not yep. because you're giving away two and a half hours of work, but 
you might put in two and a half hours of work managing, directing, giving good counsel, checking in with, <laughs> giving, answering questions, right? It's not the same as saying, okay, I have, uh, you know, 18 sparkling waters and I'm, I'm just going to give half of them away, right. right? It's so time intensive to manage somebody that you, it doesn't quite add up. So it's like, you almost have to delegate more than you think you should yeah. and more than you feel is appropriate to make sure that you have the bandwidth to then be somebody available for those people to check in with and give the guidance and, and actually give, you know, structured direction to the people you're managing. So what do you do when you are tempted to just, my, I'm just going to do it myself because I'll get it done better, faster, easier. So you're not wrong. You probably would, but how long can you keep it up, right? Because mm -hmm. you're only one person. So I think that what you have to take into account is that, yes, it's time consuming to train people on how to do things and do it properly when you do it right, when you manage effectively. But if you can eventually mm -hmm. get somebody to learn how to be mini you, then you're making them more valuable. You're giving a lot more assets to the, the firm that you're working for, right? Because yeah. other people can do that work. And you're also freeing yourself up to then oversee more things and more people. So okay. otherwise you're never, you're never going to grow. I mean, it's like, a, it's like with any CEO too, right? Mm -hmm. Any leader that can't let the reins go, you're yeah. never going to scale. Something that you said is, do you really want people to be a mini you or do you want to pull the best out of them to help them become the, the best that, version of them? That's my approach. I'm right. a huge, a huge believer in giving people because I liked it myself. I'm not sure everybody is this way, but I really liked when I was managed that people would give me something to own and run with it. And that was my baby. And I could define what was important. I could define the priorities, the deadlines, et cetera. That to me was really empowering and motivated me to show up and do a good job. Mm -hmm. um, I know other people are prefer to be micromanaged, but that wasn't, that wasn't my preference. So as mm -hmm. a result, I tend to do the same, you know, I do to others what I want done to myself. Right? right. So I like to give them, okay, here's a space for you to play in. You go define the role and what needs to be done. And then report back to me if you need help yeah. or, you know, if you're stuck somewhere or you need support. What happens if somebody like goes totally off the rails on how they do something? Well, then you have to get, then you have to pull it back in and stop doing so much of a flyover boss thing, yeah. you know, the latchkey boss. Like you have to be like, okay, okay, let me walk you through how we do this. Right. And then I think you start maybe, maybe not all the way with micromanaging, but somewhere between latchkey mm -hmm. boss and micromanaging. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, as we said, I, maybe some big agencies do this or claim they do this, but how do you actually implement these sort of, you know, management trainings, or is it just, you just got to sort of like do it while you're doing it. I mean, I think if you had budget and you could bring in an expert to do workshops and meet with people and things like that, that might be cool. But mm -hmm. I also know personally when experts were paid and brought in to do stuff like that, it was like, why are you, I, I want to say, I just want to do my work. You're, oh, I was going to say the same I thing. Don't I don't have time was... for this. Like now I'm yeah. not going to be able to pitch the reporters I need to pitch. And you're just, why am I talking yes. to this weird person about yep. my challenges and what are they going to fix anyway? Nothing's going to change. Yep. <laughs> like, I think the best 
management guidance and learning comes through, through examples. Yeah. So I think if you are a manager and you invest, you know, in listening to podcasts and reading books and listening to audiobooks and et cetera, reading articles about how to manage and start implementing it, that's the best you can do. Cause then you're showing by example mm-hmm. how to do it and they're going to learn from you. So then when they go to become a manager, it's like, oh, okay, cool. Well, this person did it this way. So let me do that. You know? It is. Well, it was a big sigh, Laura. I know. That's... Is this like a stressful topic for you? No, that was the one a sigh that was, you know, like it was a therapeutic sigh. Oh, okay. <laughs> <sighs> you know, like you, you feel better like, that there are like... answers. Right. Like it's like the yoga or the gyrotonics, like the deep breath. <sighs> it was a very big one. The other thing that we were going to talk to is about the, how future PR pros are weighing careers amid the great resignation. And what are new grads and young professionals thinking and feeling when they're trying to navigate the post pandemic, wherever we're at? job market. I feel like the the target is moving all the time and different companies Mm -hmm. say different things. So how long are you going to be able to be super demanding about where you work, how you work, how much you get paid, how long you work, you know, all of these things. I still think even though the market is crappy and inflation's through the roof, it still appears to be an employee's market. Mm -hmm. And imagine entering the workforce in like this time, because it's not normal. Mm-hmm. Some companies are, they keep, you can see they're trying to revert back to before times and other companies are like ready just to totally change it up. So if you enter the workforce right now, like which way is up? How do you deal with that? It's definitely challenging. I think it's also challenging as an employer because some people don't want a job that's remote because they don't want to work in their house and deal with their own computer equipment get away from their family, whatever. Or they want to get out and meet people or have a social life outside of Zoom. It, right. On both sides of the equation, mm-hmm. this has become an issue because do people want remote or do they not want remote? And and it seems to change too, right? Like, oh, I'm afraid to go into the office because COVID. Well, now I want to go into the office, but now I miss having the ability to do my laundry at my lunch hour, you know? So it's like, I feel like people are all over the place. Right. I mean- so let me let me take a look a little bit closer at this article. It says through November, an average of more than 3.9 million people left their job each month in 2021. Mm-hmm. That 3. sounds 9 crazy. 3.9 million. Monthly, right? Monthly. Yeah, not for the year. What? Making the highest average on record. This is according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics. Wow. So yeah, so this article written by a recent graduate is like asking about what does balance look like? And people are tired is what she's talking about from a post on LinkedIn mm-hmm. and that companies are trying to return to pre-pandemic practices that weren't even working before the pandemic, right? So let's call this career revitalization. Now is the moment to like totally switch it up, do something different, send a message, do a program, all these things that you, you know, never did before. Cause you know what? Mm-hmm. It, she's probably right. It wasn't working so great before. Like we've talked about before. Most people can't believe, how did they like have a life and go to work all day before? Mm -hmm. So. Oh oh God, this article also says in 2019, Gallup conducted a poll that ranked the public relations industry in the bottom four 
of 25 industries based on general reputation. That does not surprise me. That's why I started Trust Relations. So the poor reputation is not helping the industry grow. I mean, I think that's the bigger issue here because first of all, PR is not known for being a healthy work environment. It's, yeah. they're, it's known for long hours to the point we made about the muckrack survey, right? And you're the not going to paid like a lawyer. So not going to pay like a lawyer. You're not going to be like a doctor. It's very dog eat dog. It can be very, you know, non-supportive and disrespectful. I mean, all of those things, right? So if you're an intelligent, self-respecting person, it's really difficult to find a job in the PR industry where you can thrive. So, so you're saying it's not even so much about the great resignation or the before I mean, times I, versus the new times. I think just magnifying an, an existing issue because right. now it's like, okay, great. So the industry was already difficult to work in, but now we've got people that have other options to work from home. And, and usually those toxic agencies aren't open to that. They don't, Do they don't want to let people work about remotely. That? I feel, I feel like so many agencies are just having to let people work remotely. I mean, I think they're getting forced into it, but I think they don't like it. Because they want to have like the watchful eye or they want to like... Butts and seats. They want to know when you're there. They want to know when you're working. They want to know when you're on the phone. They want to know if you're on the phone. Are you just emailing? Are you gabbing? Are you working hard? Are you getting lunch for too many hours? <laughs> I think they, you know, that's been the culture of the industry. And then also on top of that, if that's been the structure of, and to this goes back to the point we made earlier about management styles. If you're used to being micromanaged and you suddenly get thrown into a virtual or remote culture where you have to be a little bit more of a self-starter and nobody's going to yell at you, but your source of motivation to that point has right. been to get yelled at and be afraid of the people above you. Yeah, you might not know how to function. Yeah. I actually had I had an employee. It was the saddest thing I'd ever seen, and she had been absolutely abused by the agency she'd been at. Right. And when presented with an opportunity to basically carve her own path and be her own source of inspiration right. and, and her own person. It was almost like she didn't know how to function. Wow. It's like Stockholm syndrome, huh? Yeah. And then suddenly it's like they're completely ineffective because they don't know how to drive their own source of motivation. It's all been negative motivation. Right. Right. So what do you do when suddenly you have to be your own source of positive motivation and they don't have any tools for that because they got washed out. So, I mean, that could also be playing a, a role in what's happening here with the PR industry, because if that's all you knew, right, you started it out of college and you worked at one of these agencies where everyone was constantly yelling at you and making you feel like less than a human. And well, we've talked about this, I think a little bit, I think there's a chicken and egg. I think a lot of people who are used to that sort of Stockholm syndrome have been like that their whole lives from their families, from their friends, whatever it is. And those kinds of people are more likely to get into PR yeah. to begin with. Right. So then you add into the mix. Okay, great. Now let's give you a, a healthy environment where and you have to be sort of self-sufficient and you're going to have to be. Yeah. And it's, it's scary. You don't, that's not your identity. You don't know what to do with that. I know. 
what what agencies should do is give everybody free um, quality mental health care. They should. That's not a joke. I mean, I know you're sort of joking, but you're not. But no, and 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 I think to your point, I mean, and a lot of people in PR, and we we've made this point before, and it's probably inappropriate, but but that a lot of us who are in communications do that because we have a hard time communicating on behalf of ourselves. Yeah, like a difficult time asserting for ourselves, yeah, and so we let, we outsource others. it and do it for others, mm-hmm. and that's why we're really good at it because it's sort of like one of those things that you really wish you could advocate for yourself but you can't so you advocate for other people and that that's what makes us great at what we do but then what happens when you're in a situation where it doesn't mimic your childhood your previous job you know Mm -hmm. and you're given a you know a respectful work environment where you're allowed to be your own boss your own self your you know with guidance that's a that's a big leap for a lot of people. Yeah. Wow. So I know we only have a few minutes left. Before we get into our sign off, is yep. there any sponsor us products that you were thinking about that you wanted to talk about? Anything the latest Muck and crack? greatest products? Oh right. Well <laughs> I mean I'm very into Waterloo. What's Waterloo? Waterloo. The song by Abba. Oh. What is this? Waterloo is sparkling water that has the best flavor of any sparkling water and they have a variety of amazing flavors and then they also have special flavors that come out so right now they have a summer berry flavor and whenever that comes out I try to buy all the cases of it because it's only around before July 4 and then somewhere after July 4 it just disappears Mm. so you kind of have to stock up on it I mean, it literally, my right now I only have two, but normally my desk is lined with different <laughs> different flavors of water. It's like a mess. Like, I'm glad nobody can see my desk, but it's usually like at least four Waterloo cans. Oh my god! Just lined up next it's to, a the, battle. to each other. Yeah, it's a, it's a yeah Waterloo. That's all I, I was song. defeated. You won the war. Is that the real lyrics? Yeah. Waterloo, wow. promise to love you forever, forevermore. Something like that. Wow. I yeah. only know the Waterloo part. So that says it's appropriate. So it was a war, it's a it's a Waterloo war happening on my desk. I know. That's why I And I was defeated. Waterloo won the war. <laughs> and all my disposable income goes to Waterloo. So yes, a huge fan. If anybody can find it, you should definitely try it. Zero sugar, zero calories. All right. Well, it's a magic. Nat- natural flavor. It's magic. I don't know. I don't know how they. Maybe it's like essential oils or something. Like a little. You're drinking that though? No, it can't be. I don't know what it is. I don't know how they do it. All right. All right. So, Waterly, I still want to work with you. <laughs> Promise to love you forevermore. <laughs> It's always a song. Uh, thank you for tuning in for the PR Wind Down podcast. And thanks to Greg for joining us for a scintillating interview. Scintillating. That was not in the notes. She just made that up on the fly. Remember to submit your own agency stories and questions and share our show with your friends and colleagues. And if you subscribe and leave us a rating, it will help us reach new listeners like you. And if you have an anonymous PR horror story of your own, send it our way at the contact email below. Well, she got so notes. dramatic for this. <laughs> Can't wait to wind down with you again next time, guys.